knows what this week between Christmas and New Year is called? Well, any Norwegians here? There's no way we have any Norwegians here. <laughs> Anyone from close to Norway? <laughs> You're from close to Norway? Uh, okay. <laughs> the, the, the Norwegians have a term which is called romjul. Um, and rom is from a, a word that means room, and jewel is based on yule, yuletide. And it's a, it's, they, they actually, one of the few nations that have actually named the period between Christmas and New Year. And so it's basically to a, a place in which you make room to celebrate Christmas. And so what they're recognizing is that Christmas isn't just about the day. You've got to make more space for it than that. And in the UK and Canada, they call it Boxing Week. Uh, there's this weird tradition in the UK um, when the day after Christmas, the 26th, is called Boxing Day, and it has nothing to do with, with, with gloves and beating people. It's an old tradition where it's just England had this history of, of rich people having servants uh, and giving their servants boxes on the day after Christmas, and so it became known as Boxing Day. And of course, the, the commercial industry got hold of that, and they decided to call the whole week Boxing Week, so it's a week of shopping and all sorts of other things. And if you look it up, some people uh, have called it Twixtmas. Um, some people have called it Nothing Week, because it's a week where you do absolutely nothing, and it's okay. But some of you had to work. Who had to work every day? <laughs> But, but we need people to work between Christmas and New Year, right? Because if the medical workers and the other important essential workers stop working, then the world, the world becomes a terrible place. Um, what about New Year's resolutions? How many of you made New Year's resolutions in this period? Okay, how many, so there's not a lot of hands going up for New Year's resolutions. How many of you used to make New Year's resolutions and just abandoned it a long time ago? So did you abandon it because you were terrible at them? and you quit them before the end of January or before late January the 4th? Did you abandon them for some other reason? Did you abandon them because you just kept breaking them and you just got so disappointed and decided that what's the point of making one? Because I'm just gonna break it. I've always wondered whether there is special grace at the beginning of a year. Whether at this time, God just gives us special grace for, for new things. And even, even if he doesn't, there's something um, gracious about the fact that, that a year ends and we can feel as if we can leave some things behind in an old year and start a new year. So whether there is an actual special dispensation of grace at the beginning of the year or it's just, it's, it's written into the fact that our calendar flips over, that somehow something special happens when we start a new year. And so my suggestion today is, is that we together make a new year's resolution. So you're going to have to journey with me in that because this is some encouragement for us together to have an opportunity to focus or to, to refocus. And it's, it's encouragement for you all. And remember that the reason we come together is not just to sing songs, not just to give, not just to be present, but to encourage one another. And so always be looking out for the other person in the room next to you, the person behind you. It's weird because when we set up in this way that you, you spend time looking at someone's backs or sides of people's heads and, and you get to watch sons who have clearly not, he's never been to a rock concert, has he? No, he, he just, <laughs> sorry, it's a little joke we had because somebody thought that the, 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 he just doesn't appreciate bass and loud drums like I do. Um, but his son, his, his son was complaining about something down front. Um, but, but anyway, um, I'm going to preach today on the subject of faith. Is that okay? Now, I've preached on this text before. It's the subject of faith based on the text from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. 
Um, I realized that when I last spoke about faith from this text, it was November 2019. Who was here in November 2019? And if you were here in November 2019, uh, we used an illustration last time that we're not going to do today, which was based on a marathon runner, a gentleman called Elliot Kipchog, who was here and actually may have participated in that. We, we, we had some people up here trying to show how this gentleman, with the help and encouragement of all his friends and other co-runners, manages to run these incredibly fast times in marathons. And it showed us that running races is not just about the person in the middle of the race, but it's all about the encouragement and the preparation and the planning and the people in the back room that help you to run it. Um, I said that I would return to this message, and I didn't realize it had been two years. I'd meant to do it before then, um, and somehow two years has just gone flying by. Who would have believed it? I think COVID happened, right? Um, and, and, and suddenly, uh, here we are two years in, and, and it's still going on. Um, I wondered about whether it was okay to return to something, and so I was reading um, something that the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said in a sermon called Love in Action, and let me read what he said there. He says, I want to use as a subject from which to preach this morning a very familiar subject, and it is familiar to you because I've preached from this subject before. So I thought, well, okay, he done it, so it might be Okay. I try to make it something of a custom or tradition to preach from this passage of Scripture at least once a year, adding new insights that I develop along the way out of new experiences as I give these messages, although the basic content is the same. It's so basic to me because it's part of my basic philosophical and theological orientation. And as far as I can work out, he first preached on a subject called love in action back in Montgomery in 1957, and he did it, as far as I can tell, once a year at about Easter um, when he was in Montgomery and later when he moved to Atlanta to Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, I'm not speaking on love in action today. I'm speaking on a subject, the title of which is faith in action. And if you're familiar with the passage 1 Corinthians 13, which gets read a lot at weddings, which speaks about the concept of love, it comes to the end and it tells us that love is one of three things that remain. It says, now abide these three things, and who knows what those three things are? Faith, hope, and love. And so it's telling us that at the end of the day, three things endure. Three things seem to have about them as a substance. It's almost like some eternal substance. It just lasts. It goes on. It never ends. And so it seems to me that whenever we're speaking about faith or hope or love, we're speaking about things that it's good to speak about. And in Galatians 5, verse 6, it says this, what matters most is faith working through love. In other words, faith in action, that just having faith isn't enough, that somehow faith has to act. And how does faith act? Faith must act in some way that is loving. And so we have faith, but the outworking of that faith is love. Some other things that the Bible says about faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Bible tells us that we Christians walk by faith, not by, not by sight. In other words, it's telling us that we Christians know where we're going, not because of things that we see, but because of faith. That every step we take as a Christian is a, is a faith step. That I know how to walk today, I know how to walk tomorrow because I have faith. Not because I know with my natural senses what I'm doing. You see how we're meant to be different from the world because the world walks by sight. The world makes decisions based on things that are clear and obvious and historical 
and logical and rational. Well, instead, the Christian is meant to walk by faith and not sight. So imagine that, that our steps are only certain because of faith. How many of you have seen the, I think it's the last Indiana Jones movie before they remade them, and there's a point at which doesn't he step out into this big chasm, and what comes onto his foot? Suddenly, there is certainty because of faith. That's what the Christian walk is meant to be. Matthew 17.10 tells us that how much faith do we need to have? We need to have faith the size of a Mustard seed. Who was here on Christmas, not Christmas Eve, the week before when we were speaking about mustard seeds? Who, who, who picked up a little mustard seed and saw how little those things are? And it says that if you have faith that's the size of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move, and it will move. You see, so it's telling us that not only is faith the thing that we walk by, that we have confidence and certainty of our walk, but faith is something that means that, that when we're facing obstacles or hindrances, or objections or impossibilities that are blocking our way like mountains that instead of us moving by faith, we speak to the thing in front of us and the thing moves. And so by faith, we find ourselves accomplishing things for God that would otherwise, apart from faith, be impossible. What else does the Bible say about faith? In Romans 10, verse 17, it tells us this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So in other words, if you find yourself in a place where you don't have faith, you've got to be confident because this verse tells you that faith comes. If you find yourself walking through a season of life and you're just lacking faith, the Bible says faith comes, faith arrives, faith presents itself into your life, into a situation, into your experience. How? By hearing the word of God. So the foundation of faith is always something that God says to you, something that God has said, something that God speaks to you. Hebrews 11 verses one to two says this, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Look at that, that distinguishes hope that has no faith underpinning it. There is vain hope, but there's hope that has the substance of faith. The evidence of things not seen, back to where we were, we walk by faith, not sight. The Christian walks in a way that the world doesn't understand because they don't have faith. We see the things that God has called us to do, the pathways that God has called us to walk in by faith. And it says also that the elders, the people that went before us in the Christian tradition, all obtained a good testimony because of walking by faith. So if you ever want them to look back on you after your life is over and say that he or she walked well, did well, lived well, it's going to be because your life was oriented according to what? Not sight, but faith. Another passage, Hebrews 11.6 says this, without faith it is impossible to please God. Think about that. In the absence of faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must firstly believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So those are just a few things about faith. And remember, I'm speaking about faith in action. And the reference to those passages in Hebrews it brings us to the text that I want to concentrate on this morning, which is Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Now, if you ever have a moment to look back, and we're just going to leave this up there, because it says, therefore, we also. It's referring to something that just preceded it. How many of you know and have ever read Hebrews chapter 11? If you haven't read Hebrews chapter 11, just, just, just I recommend that you do that. Because it begins 
by saying faith is the substance of things hoped for and by the evidence of things not seen. The elders obtained a good testimony by, by faith. And it begins to walk through this chapter of, of people like Noah, who's heard of Noah, and Abraham, who's heard of Abraham, and who's heard of Sarah and David. And all these great heroes of the Christian tradition who walked by faith. And every one of them, it said, did something that they only did because they said, heard God tell them to do it. So Noah built an ark because he had faith to build an ark. Where did the faith to build an ark come from? Because God told him to do that. So you see that before there was faith, Noah had no idea what his life was meant to be. Noah didn't know how to walk. And one day God speaks to him and tells him to do something. And on the basis of the word of God, you see how faith arises. Noah does something and builds an ark. And with that ark, he saves his entire family and the entire human race. Look at the miracle of faith that begins with the word of God. And so it says, we also, and so what it's doing is it's saying that because of all these people that went before us, we're in the same line. We also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses to what? The life of faith. We're surrounded by this incredible company of, of, of witnesses, people who've gone before us, who've lived faith-filled lives. And so it's encouragement to us to do what? To lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Can we read that together? Therefore, we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the resolution I'm presenting to you this morning. And so it's not about whether you're gonna exercise more or less, or eat less, or more, or watch less TV, or be kinder to someone in your life, or to work harder, or to save better, or any of the other things that amount to resolutions. I'm presenting to you this as a resolution at the beginning of 2022, and asking you, and I'm gonna ask you a little later to ask yourself whether this is something God's leading you to say, yes, I'm gonna do this. Since I'm part of this community, and we're all together surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, will I, with my brothers and sisters, lay aside every weight, and will I lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares, and will I run with endurance the race that is set before me, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And so here's what I'm gonna do now. I'm just gonna break that text down into five sections and speak about it a little bit, just to help us unpack what is in that text. And so firstly, let's start here. The first passage that I wanna break down is this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us. Look at the amount of times that there is plural, plural language in that. It doesn't say, therefore, I, since I am surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let me. It says, let us, since we are. And so the first thing that I want to comment on is this, is that it, Christian, Christianity is all about community. It's all about community. It's not about I. 
The whole thing that got went wrong with the whole concept of I have a dream is that the dream was taken to be something that was personal. Every dream is it has to be interpreted in the context of the whole of humanity. The reason that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses is because that, that cloud of witnesses itself was community. They were community to one another, and there's historical community for us. And so you find fellowship, and you find companionship, and you find strength, and you find encouragement when you read the stories of men and women of faith who've done great things to encourage you to do the kind of things that they did. And if you find yourself lacking in, in encouragement, and you can't find it historically, then where else do you find it? You find it in the community of your brothers and sisters. And the reason that we dig ourselves out of the funk that we sometimes get into, particularly in periods between Christmas and New Year when we just get into this spiral of nothingness, is because we one day actually start answering the texts or answer the phone call or, or take the dock, knock on the door or we go and see someone and we do something, we actually start speaking to another human being. And I'm not speaking about fake community. I'm not speaking about social media because I'm not sure how that really helps us. I'm speaking about the actual activity of going and sitting with someone and spending time with someone and telling them how you hurt and how you're struggling or your successes or your failures and trading stories with them and speaking words of encouragement to them. And you can do that even on a Sunday morning. It's not just about watching and listening and singing. Set yourself when you come to encourage someone else. Because we're not in a time that the Hebrew um, church was in uh, when the book of Hebrews was written, when they were being severely persecuted and squeezed from outside. And so these words and these messages were to them to tell them to not quit. They were saying, not quit, don't quit, don't give up, don't give up. But in our own way, in our own day, there is a pressure to quit, isn't there? There's a pressure to quit. There's a pressure to be factional and, and fractured in society and to say that, that, that the, 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 our society is irreparably broken and it can never get any better and the church is over and there's no point in anything. If you don't feel that pressure, then you're not listening to the voice of the enemy who's speaking all the time telling us these things. But instead, we're meant to get closer together and encourage one another more. So the first thing is, it's about us, it's about we, it's about community, and the encouragement is because of the community of faith, and the race is the race that we all run together, right? First point. Second point, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. I find it fascinating that sometimes we spend all our time thinking about the sin that we've got to get out of our lives. Got to get sin out of my life, got to get sin out of my life, but there's a second thing in there which isn't sin, which is called weight. Isn't it fascinating that we can't even run the race yet because the next passage is going to tell us to run the race. But before we can run the race, we need to get rid of some stuff. And so this is encouraging because it tells us what we all know, which was sin trips us up really easily. How many of us have to struggle to sin? To, to, to work hard to sin. I gotta work out ways to do it because I can't think of a way to do it. It's the opposite, it's easy. It easily trips us up, it easily ensnares us. That means we're just walking through our day and suddenly just think of the biggest, ugliest trap that's gonna come and over my ankles. That's what sin does. But it tells us that we have to undo that snare and, 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 and not be stuck in it. But it also tells us that there's something called weight. Now if weight isn't sin, what is weight? If we were about to run a marathon and I had on a big old diving suit with those big heavy boots and the big thing like I was getting ready to, to, to go to 10,000 feet beneath, you'd look at me and shout, get that thing off, wouldn't you? Because it'd be obvious that for the race I'm about to run that I'm not properly 
stressed. And so you only understand what weight is when you understand what the race is. Because if the race is to go to the bottom of the ocean, then small running shorts aren't going to help you, are they? So you have to understand the race to know what weight is. And when you understand the race, it will be clear what the weight is. And sometimes you have to lay off things. Sometimes you have to lay off things that are habits that aren't sinful. And times, I was speaking to someone this morning who was saying they go to bed early. They go to bed like at 8 o'clock at night. Sometimes you've got to go to bed early because the hours of 8 to 9 to 10 to 11, you're wasting your time because God's saying that to run your race, you need to be up at 4 in the morning. And you'll never get up at 4 in the morning if you don't go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. And often the people that we have to look at to understand these things is you've got to look at professional athletes, people who win medals, gold medals in, in, in Olympics. You've got to look at people that win motor races, people that win sporting events, and understand the disciplines that they have because when they understand some of them will tell you that they can't even hang with the friends that they grew up with anymore. And some of them will tell you that they can't hang with the family members that they grew up with anymore. Because if they did, it would, it would have got in the way of the race that they were meant to run. When you hear stories of, who knows who Lionel Messi is, the, light, um, the, the, the um, Argentinian soccer player. You hear stories about these guys who get sent from their home country to another country at the age of seven or eight. And have to leave their families behind because the race they're called to run is so extreme that they have to leave behind things and people and situations that would say, oh, no way could I ever do that. And so you see, understanding what the weight is is easy once you know what the race is. But laying aside sin and weight is a habit of single-mindedness. We've got to have a habit of single-mindedness to do, run a faith race, to walk a faith walk. We have to say, this is the race I'm on. And you ever hear the Bible say that we shouldn't turn aside to the left? or to the right, it means you've got to be like this with the faith walk. Jesus was like this with the faith walk because Jesus is focused on the cross. And he's so focused on the cross that there comes a time when he's at a wedding and someone says, hey, they've run out of wine. He's like, what's that to do with me? I'm here for the cross. But it's his mother. And so he's like, well, okay. <laughs> and she says, just do whatever he tells you to do, do it, because she's been hanging around him for 30 years and she knows how it works out when you do what Jesus says. But his focus is the cross. And there's even a time when he's so focused on the cross that he says to his disciples, it's time for the Son of Man to go up to Jerusalem to be delivered into the hands of, the, of, the, of, the, of sinful men who are going to do this and that to him. And his Peter says to him, no, 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 no. And what does Jesus say to him? He calls him Satan. He says, Satan, get behind me. Get out of the way of this faith walk that I have to walk, that I'm so single-minded about, that even the thought of preserving myself cannot get in the way of it. And so sometimes the weight is caring too much about our own well-being, caring too much about how good our house is or what we drive or where we live or how popular we are. Third thing. So firstly, I've said it's all about community. Secondly, we've got to lay aside every weight and sin, which is the habit of single-mindedness. The third thing is it says, let us run with endurance. It's not a sprint. The Christian walk is not a sprint. It is not over by the end of the day. It is not over by the end of 2022. Running is about momentum. If I stood here and if Evan came up and tried to shove me, right, which I'm not going to ask you to do. I know you're too ready to do it, Evan. <laughs> 
it will be easier for you to shove me if I'm standing still than if I'm running towards you at full pace, right? Because if I'm running towards you at full pace and you try and shove me, it might end up weird, right? I might end up knocking you back. You understand the concept of running a race is about momentum. The Bible often tells us that, that, that sometimes the reason we struggle against sin is because we're not actually walking in the opposite direction to sin. It says that you should walk in the Spirit, which is forward, positive momentum, and by walking in the Spirit, guess what happens? You will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So you can spend all your time thinking about, I'm not gonna sin, 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 rather than I'm gonna walk in the Spirit, 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 I'm gonna love, because the Bible says against love, there is no law, I'm gonna love, I'm gonna love, positive, positive stuff, momentum, and you wake up one day, so where did the sin go? Isn't that how it works? It's about momentum. The race is about momentum. Run a race because the race is about momentum. The Bible says, ultimately, that we submit to God. That's a positive thing to submit to God. And by submitting to God, we are at the same time resisting the devil. Don't just spend your time resisting the devil. Submit to God. You see how it's about momentum. That's why they use the race, the word run with endurance. You have to be going somewhere. You have to understand what the race is. You have to be about the race. And the race is one of perseverance. It's about endurance. It's a long view. It's a long game. It's, a, it's not a sprint. But it's also about if you fall over, what do you do? Get up. You get up again. It's a long race. And sometimes it's one of the saddest things you see in Olympic races is when someone who's trained for 15, 20 years falls over on a hurdle. I hate hurdle. Who likes hurdles? Anybody here ever hurdle? I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> but you, 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 you hit the first hurdle down, and, 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 and it always fills my heart with joy to see them get up again. Even if they don't win, to get up again. And sometimes it's even more beautiful when someone else helps them up. But that doesn't happen in most of the races. You're not going to stop and oh, pick someone else up. But life's like that. Christian life is like that. It's meant to be that if you see your brother or sister stumble, help them up. Remind them it's not a sprint. The race isn't over yet. It's a long race. It's a long game. Pick yourself up again and keep walking. Remember what God's word to you was. Remember the race that you're meant to be running and start running it again. My fourth point is this. The race that is set before us. It means we've got to run the right race. I, am, I don't like running, long distance running. I, I detest it. Um, uh, just wasn't built to run long distances. Um, which always made it hard to train for 90 minute soccer matches because if you haven't got 90 minute soccer minutes match stamina, you're terrible. <laughs> you're, you're a liability to your teammates. You, you, don't, you don't contribute to the, to the whole thing that, that you're meant to contribute to. Um, but I used to go running with a friend. Uh, he used to make me run with him. Um, I hated him, and I hated it, and, and I got fit. <laughs> um, and I'd always be running with him, and he, he's a much better runner than me. He's run 10Ks and those sorts of things, and he's, run, he's done the Cobb 10K. Anyone else done the Cobb 10K? Okay, so you know what it's... Okay, the Cobb 10K, I think, starts at Galleria, 
And you know Cobb Parkway goes all the way up past Whitewater or wherever it is. You know that's just this, isn't it? It's just this. Why would anybody do that? Um, but but, but he, he does that. And in training for that, I used to run with him. And I used to run with him. And any time I tried to keep up with him, I would never finish. Because he would set off faster than me, and I'd try and keep up with him. And I'd be like... <gasps> How you doing? <laughs> Try, trying to talk. I hate when you're running and someone's trying to have a conversation with you because you just, I just need to breathe. I did, I did a 10-mile ride, ride with Blake Miranda. Uh, uh, who, Blake does 40, 50, 60-mile races. And Blake just wanted to talk the whole time, <laughs> which is great, but I need air to breathe. <laughs> um, I, and one day, my friend, I just let him go off into the distance because I fe- clearly felt I heard the Lord say, run your race. Because if I run someone else's race, I won't finish it. And I feel like this anytime I'm at the gym and I'm on a treadmill doing a little bit of light running and someone's sprinting faster than me or someone's lifting heavier weights than me or someone's doing, and when I was on the 10 mile bike ride, some guy came flying past and I felt shame. Um, and I looked at the size of his calves and his calves were like this. I'm like, okay, and his bike weighed like a millionth of my big heavy steel frame thing. Um, but it didn't matter. I had to remember my race. And your race is not my race. My race is not your race. I can encourage you in your race. You can encourage me in my race, but I cannot run yours. And you cannot run mine. Because God designed you to run yours. God designed me to run mine. And so it's important that you all discern your part in the race that all humanity is running. I was pondering this this morning and realizing that, that if, 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 if part, my part of the race is to do what I'm doing today, then I hope it's encouraging for you. But in the same way, there's something you can do for one another that is encouraging to one another that helps all of us, together with all of humanity, run the race together that we're running towards who? Jesus. The race is perfectly designed by God for you. It's not ill-fitting. The race God's called you to run is about life to you. It will be sustaining and satisfying. There's a time when Jesus, I think it's in John chapter 4, is at a well, and, and they ask him, a woman asks him, has he eaten? And he says, no, I haven't eaten because my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And so do you realize that when you run precisely, perfectly, the race that God has called you to, that it's sustaining that it's satisfying, that it's like food to you. And so when we're doing something that's ill-fitting, it means that we're doing something that just isn't quite right, and so we're forever dissatisfied. We're forever in a way and in a place that means that we have a sense that I'm just in the, I'm in the wrong thing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing. Instead, the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it says that when our minds are transformed, and so no longer are we being squeezed into a shape or into a race that the world is trying to put on us, but instead it's our inner life, our inner spirit life that is the thing that is transforming the world. And as our mind is renewed, we get a sense of, it says, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So if you have no sense of what the race is for you, It's important that you find that out because your race matters to all of us. If one of us in this room doesn't run their race, then the body suffers. If two don't run it, then the body suffers more. If 50% don't do it, the body suffers more. 
And effectively, the body becomes dysfunctional. And the church of God isn't the strong, God-filled, spirit-filled, world-transforming army that God has called us to be. And the last thing I want to break this text down into is these words, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's about recognizing where the finish line is. Finish line isn't um, at midnight tonight, unless Jesus comes again, or at midnight tomorrow, unless Jesus comes again, or next year, or whenever. It's about this continual gaze on Jesus until we see him face to face. That's the finish line. So we're running a race that begins in this life but continues into eternity. Paul puts it this way, speaking of his own race in Philippians 3 verses uh, 12 to 15. And, and the band, if you, you could start making your way back, please. Paul says this, not that I've already attained. And think about that. Paul said he hasn't got there yet. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who was like this hero of faith, says, I haven't got there yet or am already perfected. But I do what? I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind. Paul, even in his own race, recognizes he's not there yet. He's on a journey that he presses on, on, to lay hold of, to grab hold of whatever it was that Christ Jesus laid hold of him for. If you want to understand what Christ Jesus laid hold of him for, you have to have gone back and go and have a look earlier, later at this passage. Because in verse 11, it says, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the, from the dead. So Paul proceeds this passage by saying, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, but I'm not there yet. I'm not at the point of the resurrection from the dead, but I'm pressing on to the point of the resurrection from the dead, and I want to be found in Christ on that day. I want to, if I'm in the grave, I want when Jesus calls me, I want to hear his voice and be, and, be, and, be, and be raised. And I don't want to be like the one that doesn't have oil in my lamp that's not ready for that day, but I'm pressing on because I see that day ahead and that day is in the distance, but I'm, that's the long game that I'm walking towards, and that's the long game, so I understand why I've got to lay off sin and I've got to lay off weight and I've got to keep running this race and I've got to discern what my part is in the race that all humanity is running and play that part to the best of my ability. It's about making progress. It's not about perfection, is it? And no point is Paul saying, I'm there. I'm perfect. There's not one more good thing that I can do or be. He says, I'm not there. I'm not already perfect, but I press on. I don't consider myself to have apprehended, but I, I do what? And we have to do this. And this is one of the blessings of an old year into a new year is we can forget some things that are behind. And we can say, I want to leave behind God by your grace in 2021 some stuff. And you may already have had this conversation with God on New Year's Eve or whenever you may have done this. But it's good to forget and to leave behind our failures, right? How can we run through life where carrying our failures? You don't realize that when God says run a race, if we're all burdened with, if this is a heavy lead jacket 
And in every pocket, I filled my failure and this failure and that failure. And I strapped around my leg and I put wrist weights on. I failed here, I failed here, I failed here, I failed here. What am I going to be like? I'm going to be worn down and I can't run. I've got to get rid of the failures and forget what's behind. I've got to forget my weakness because God knows that I'm weak. We all know that we're weak. And so my weakness isn't the reason to not run. I've got to forget that I'm weak. I've got to forget the habits that hold me back. And by God's grace, may we all forget those habits that get in the way of us running the race that God has for us. But another thing we've got to forget behind us is our successes. You only learn to forget successes if you follow the lives of extreme sportsmen and women. When they win the first gold medal, or they win the championship, or they win the motor race, or the motor racing championship, what do they do? They don't sit and stare at the cup for the next three years. We're like that, aren't we? I did one good thing, and you're gonna hear about it, and you're gonna keep hearing about it, and you're gonna hear about it, I'm gonna tweet about it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna whatever it is about it, and I'm gonna tell everybody about it, I'm gonna live on, dine on this one good thing I once did in my life 50 years ago, forget that. So we leave behind the bad stuff, leave behind the successes, And like Paul, let us press on to lay hold of, to apprehend what it is that Christ Jesus called us for, purposed us for, formed us for, filled us with His Spirit for, saved us for, and even in this moment encourages us to do. So can we just put that text up one more time? Because this is the resolution I'm asking you to make. And I'm going to ask you to reflect on this as you take communion and whether this is a New Year's resolution for 2022 that God is asking you to make. And if it is, will you? Therefore, we also... Can we read this together again, please? Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.